0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help people like you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Super excited to have you here and to spend time with you today. And if you're returning, welcome back. I appreciate you so much. You are absolutely, 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 a million more absolutely what makes this show possible. So I appreciate you so much. But regardless, if you are a new friend or an old friend, today you and I get to hang out with Misty Lowne. Misty Lowne is the founder, president, and energized force behind More Than Just Great Dancing, which is a licensed, dance studio affiliation program that has a positive impact on over 100,000 dance students around the globe each week. She's also the owner of Youth Protection Advocates in Dance, which is an educational company. Her dance studio, Misty's Dance Unlimited, founded in 1998 and named a top 50 studios in the nation by Dance Spirit Magazine, has provided $500,000 in scholarship for dancers. Misty has been a speaker for every major dance industry event and has authored over 100 industry articles. She is a sought-after speaker and business leader, and she has been recognized as Teacher of the Year by Eclipse, Outstanding Businesswoman of the Year by the YWCA, awarded the Pope John 23rd Award for Distinguished Service by Viterbo University, the Philanthropy Award from the Local Red Cross, and the President's Award from the La Crosse Area Development Corporation and the President's Award from the Association of Professional Fundraisers. It took me a while to record, record that because there was a lot there. All super impressive. But uh, going back to the bio, Missy is also an entrepreneur and builder at heart. In addition to her dance studio and licensing program, she owns a dancewear store, self-storage business, and is a managing partner in a family real estate business. She is the author of One Small Yes, an Amazon number one bestseller that has been translated to Korea. Career- Korean and Indonesian, and Misty's favorite part of the day is spending time with her husband and five beautiful children. So, there is so much you're going to learn in this episode, but as always, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, the story of how, despite being scared out of her mind, Misty auditioned for a training program at the world famous Alvin Ailey American Dance Center in New York City, got accepted, and then ended up deciding not to go to pursue an even greater calling. Number two, how Missy ended up developing a strong friendship and receiving mentorship from Dave Linegar, the self-made billionaire, chairman of the board, and co-founder of Remax. And number three, Missy's insights on making a massive impact through entrepreneurship while having an incredible relationship with her husband, Mitch, and raising five kids. So look specifically for the Route 66 story and the gas pedal and brake insight that she shares. So all that to look forward to in today's episode. And as always, before we kick things off, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Kia Rowe, who left a review on Apple podcast saying gems on gems. If you're looking for advice on how to take your business to the next level, I highly recommend. Brandon has a great way of getting gems out of guests. Keep up the dope work brother. And funny story about Kia is we met when we were traveling in Thailand. So it's good to see that review. Thanks so much for listening Kia and your support. And hopefully you're doing good in Mexico. I think that's the last time we talked, you were (laughs) hanging out doing that, but appreciate that. And if you're listening to this and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet I would really appreciate it not only will it make my day I read every single review but will help other people to discover the show as well so if you want to do that if you choose to do that you can go to seven millennials.com slash review to find out exactly how to do that and that's the number seven figure millennials m-i-l-l-e-n-n-i-a-l-s.com slash review or you can go to rate this slash 7fm and both of those places are going to show exactly how you can leave a review and I have have a little bit of goodies if you go to my site and actually do that just as a thank you for your time and your honest feedback. So all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Misty Lowne. If you had to pick between a making a ton of money, B being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials podcast. Misty, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here and to be hanging out with you today. I'm
1: happy to be here. And if you're dialing in, Brandon, I had to reschedule this several times, so I know it's (laughs) going to be great.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I wanted to start by giving everybody just a little bit of context that's probably might not be seen in the bio. So Misty is a fellow Wisconsinite, and uh, we got to hang out a little bit at a live event and with her husband Mitch at Tribe for Leaders, uh, an event in Seattle. And she absolutely kicked my butt at the selfie museum competition. Not that anyone's ever going to (laughs) understand what that actually means. (laughs) But uh, Misty just has such an incredibly kind heart and true passion for impact. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And I just want to frame in a little bit because I know lots of people heard your impressive bio beforehand. They know the over 270 dance studios you run having a positive impact over 100,000 dance students around the globe each week. So they hear all that kind of stuff. And you have five kids and some people have even called you the Steve Jobs or Sarah Blakely of the dance world. But I love the title of your book. Because you have so many impressive accomplishment, accomplishments, but the title of your book says you did it one small yes at a time. And so I wanted to start by taking us back to some of those early days before Superhero Misty and zoom in on one of those first small yeses. So I know despite the, all your success right now, you, you weren't necessarily dealt the perfect hand when it come to, came to being a dancer. And so I would love for you to maybe t- share a little bit about your club foot <laughs> and some of the experiences that you overcame and how you started to head down the path that you're on right now.
1: Well, I love taking it back to where it started because I do think that a lot of people listening to podcasts, including myself, I, you know, I hear somebody's hero story, but rarely the hero journey. And I actually learn more from the journey and probably the early days that I can apply to my own maybe than what they're doing now. And I just do want to give credit where it's due, those 270 studio owners. Owners are running those studios themselves, we're just providing real-time advisory and resources, and uh, they are superheroes in their own communities. So yeah, back when it started, I, I could say for sure that I can string together building blocks of my current success based on overcoming small obstacles and saying yes to small things. I have very clear memories when I was a kiddo. I mean, and by kiddo, I mean two, having a club foot and being in the hospital for surgery where they break the foot and they cast it, and the hope is that both feet will go forward and Uh, I remember being in a, you know, in a convalescent bed environment, my dad doing the therapy to turn my foot all the way to face the back of my body over and over. That was, that was part of the therapy and dance, ironically, was part of the therapy as well. So Brandon, I know that you have taken lessons, but maybe all of your audience hasn't, and I should let you know that ballets based on turning the feet out. So this was awesome therapy for me as a kid, you know, having one foot that originally went in. So I'm pleased to share, Brandon, that I can not only walk, you know, normally, but I can actually do the dance that requires the turnout of the feet. But I, you know, I can't, uh, I can't share many memories of being that young, but that is one. And I think for sure, not just, you know, seeing the, a dedication that my dad and mom had to do to make sure I made it through those therapy, but actually doing it probably informed some of the grit that I still have today.
0: Hmm. So dance was actually initially introduced to you as a form of therapy for or- overcoming the club foot. Is that how dance came into your world? Yes, club
1: foot plus childhood asthma. So, you know, hmm. a great recommendation for kids. If, you know, if, if you have exercise induced asthma, what, you actually have to do is get moving, right? You know, build that capacity, build that tolerance. And of course the activity with my
0: feet, it was, it was a perfect compliment. Got it. Cool. Well, that is, that is so incredible to see the impact that you made in the dance world for that that, uh, hand that you were dealt in the very beginning. One other thing that I'm not quite sure what this story is, but I know we've bonded over this because whenever I I, I had the pleasure of talking to Missy's group a few months ago and I had shared my free lunch story and you had mentioned a car story and I'm not quite, so I normally don't like asking stories that I don't know, but I know this is a good story. So I would love to hear your car story and what that was and where that fell into place in your life.
1: I have two car stories and I'm not sure which one you want. Okay, one of them. (laughs) Well, uh, I I very clearly remember being in middle school and our our family did not have a car. I mean, we were just going through a period of time in our family's history where everything was tight and resources had to go other places. And, you know, we, we didn't have a family car. And so I had to take the city bus down to dance classes at 13 years old. I had to take a taxi cab back. And, you know, that, I don't know if you remember what it's like being 13, but when everybody else, you know, has somebody pulling up in a car to pick them up and you're going down the block to stand under the bus station, you know, that's a, um, that's a formative experience. And it, it really became a gateway for me. Like, do you really want to go to dance class or do you really not want to go to dance mm-hmm. class? Because getting there meant, you know, we, I, ha- I had to do that. And, I think something that's really important, and I hope I hope I do this well. I don't in any way share these stories to awfulize any of my formative experiences. I'm thankful for them, mm-hmm. but during the time they weren't super fun, right? So um, I always want to make sure I'm honoring my parents. I think they did an amazing job with the hand that they were dealt with the things that they walked through. And it was because of the way they modeled navigating difficult circumstances that I and my life have been able to navigate my own. But there's definitely been some, some interesting times.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like just from reading your book, I know you have an incredible relationship with your parents. And, you know, so that that was really you do a very good job of talking about that component in the book. And it's really cool to see that relationship and how they encourage you through everything. So that is absolutely beautiful. And so I wanted to start by taking us kind of into your early dance career. And one of the things or the stories that you tell in your book is uh, getting or er, making the bold move or a small yes to start uh, to try out at the Alvin Alley American Dance Dance Center, if I got that pronunciation correct. So I would love for you to tell the story of that and like what made you decide to do that and maybe take us back to that day and what was going through your head.
1: Well, Brandon, you may not remember any pre-internet days, but this was uh, a... <laughs> Maybe there was internet, but not at a commercial scale. So I remember going to the library and reading Dance Magazine. You know, it wasn't something I found on an app on my phone and seeing an ad for auditions at the Elvin Alien American Dance Center in New York. I mean, in my mind's eye, this was just the place. And it is one of the world's premier Dance companies to this day. So I, I booked a flight where I had to go to a travel agent <laughs> and write a check. I mean, and I only share this because it just it wasn't as easy as I saw an Instagram post and it's amazing and click and I signed up and I'm going. I mean, this took a lot of steps. I didn't know how to do any of them. I had you know really never flown before, never gone to a big city. So all of those things. I went out there. Did the audition. And this is a side story that I typically don't share, but I think it may be important to to your audience or may hit home with somebody. When I was there and I did the audition, everybody got the call at the end. You sit around, right? You know, have your number on, do the audition. You're waiting to hear, are you going to get a spot in the training program or not? And I'm the last one and I don't get called and the people are packing up and leaving. I had a friend there who went up and advocated for me with the adjudicators and said, hey, you haven't talked to my friend yet. And her small yes decision to go up there and advocate, they're like, oh, gosh, yes, you. This is how it went. Oh, yeah, you number so-and-so, you're in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was it was so anticlimactic to the way my you know my heart was beating and the the pressure I had imposed upon myself, and so I thought that was it. I, I went home. I'm midway through my college career. I told everybody I'm going to the Ailey School. Quitting school, I'm going out there. I'm so committed. I go watch the Ailey Company perform in our capital city of Madison, and it's one of the few times that I would say I had uh, you know a really clear divine intervention. I'm sitting there watching their most famous piece. It's called Revelations, ironically, with their most famous dancers. And I have this nudge in my heart that says, what are you going to remember about this performance next week? What are you going to remember next month or next year? And what will those kids you've been teaching dance to remember of you for a lifetime? And I've I've physically and viscerally sunk down in, (laughs) in my seat Because I just knew, I knew that I wouldn't remember the details of that performance, maybe past the name, a couple memories of the costumes and the notes of the music. But I knew those kids would remember me for a lifetime because I'd already been going to their high school graduations and seeing the the display on the wall of their journey through dance. I'd gotten the letters when they graduated, you know, themselves from high school and what they were doing. So I made a decision in that moment that the classroom would be my stage.
0: And so you had to, from from what I remember of this story, and thank you for for sharing that. I could just totally picture you sitting kind of in the chair, like, "What the heck? When, why are they talking? About? No. Why are they calling me? That's terrible. Do uh, you know, I but, have to fly here for this?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. But so okay, so that like you did a lot to get there. But then that revelation during revelation, which is which is yeah. really cool, you decided to make that call. You decided to call and tell them that you weren't going. Right, that was like a yeah. huge. Thing that you had to do is you had to tell them that you weren't going to be attending the school. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, it was go back to drive back to La Crosse, Wisconsin, get on the rotary phone in the kitchen and just say, thanks for the invite, but I'm not coming. I'm going to open a dance studio. And most people thought I'd lost my ever loving mind. Because if you grew up <laughs> in, a small town in Wisconsin and you have a ticket to go train in New York, you know, saying no thanks to the ticket, I'm going to stay home and, you know, skip dancing and go straight to teaching, it doesn't look like a logical step from most outsiders opinion.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take a guess from just a few pieces of information I've had beforehand, but so I'm going to say a name and I'm guessing this is about when this person jumped up in your life. So who is Deke Swanson and what impact did he make on your life?
1: (laughs) Oh, Deke. I had breakfast with Deke last week. So Deke was Oktoberfest Festmaster. So Oktoberfest is our city's annual festival, just like the festival in Germany, but a lot closer to home. And I at the time was Miss Lacrosse Oktoberfest. And during our year of service, we would travel to different communities, we would bring just fun and life to nursing homes and to schools. And I was a constant chatterbox to Deke about how I wanted to open a dance studio. And I the classroom was going to be my stage. And Brandon, I think maybe he just tired of listening to me. And uh, he, he lived in the world of construction. And he finally said to me, are you serious about this dance school thing? I said, I am. And he said, well, meet me at five at March's Cafe. And I said, great, we're going to have dinner. He said, that's breakfast. Now, I had never seen at five o'clock in the morning before, but I set my alarm and I got up and I I went to that cafe And he made me in pre-Shark Tank style layout what my dream was, how I was going to accomplish it. And at the end of that, he stood up abruptly, thrust out his hand and said, I'm going to build you that dance studio. And he walked out of the cafe. (laughs) I I just said, I'm like, what just happened? You know, it it was a, it was a real time pre-TV Shark Tank moment. And from then it was, you know, a cascade of very practical, tactical steps to put that into motion.
0: Hmm. What do you think
1: he saw in you? A lot of passion, uh, it, like it, not just passion, but a resilience and a determination. You know, I was already putting myself through college. I had auditioned twice through the pageant process to be Miss Lacrosse Oktoberfest. That's a certain amount of putting yourself out there, commitment showing up to all of these events. But I think perhaps more than that, he saw the kids surrounding me at this event, you know, these, these students of mine who were such ardent supporters and their parents who were such ardent supporters because they knew that their kids were having a lifetime um, positive impact through their engagement in the dance classroom. And I I think he observed all of that and probably listened to me long enough. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to take a chance on this.
0: Yeah, man, I love that so much. And I get I, whenever I hear good stories, I get good chills. So it's like, I, I, it's, I love hearing stories of that. And like, just like, obviously, you were just like, off the walls about making that huge decision to turn down a big opportunity to go in on something. And that's so cool that he saw that. So I'm going to take a, a pause on the trajectory for the uh, dancing studio, because I know there's there's lots of gold there and how you've grown Missy's Dance Unlimited and that stuff. But I want to take a second to go down the kind of the relationship component, because I know you met your husband, Mitch, when you were very young. So would you mind yeah. talking to us, to us a little bit about Mrs. Kaminsky's 10th grade math class?
1: <laughs> well, it ended my math career because I was back row and Mitch was two rows over. And, <laughs> you know, I was passing notes and trying to get his attention and uh, none of that really worked at that time, but we did end up... Uh, going to homecoming a year or so later. And we've been, you know, dating and then married and a beautiful family ever since. But there is something special. It's not for everybody, but there's something special about, you know, growing up together, really. You know, we were Mm -hmm. teenagers when we met. We um, you know, came age as adults, you know, together in that relationship, going through college together, launching our careers together. And now our kids are going to the same high school and they'll be fourth generation graduates of that school.
0: So it's, That's it's, so a, cool. it's a pretty cool connection. So what, were you in a relationship with Mitch when this whole dance studio stuff uh, started happening when you got the deal? So what was his side uh, of things? How did How did that dynamic play out?
1: <laughs> well, I don't think he was surprised because when we started dating, I was a passionate dance teacher and you know he knew about my plans to go to New York and he supported them. And in all candor, I think perhaps buying in on the idea of taking the risk of a dance studio may have been a bigger leap for him then the idea that I might go to New York, right? The idea of going to New York for a nine-month training program sounds like a termed risk, right? It's nine months. It's going to cost a known amount of money. There's, There's a schedule. These are the times we could see each other. You might come back home. And that would have been a lot of commitment. But putting that aside and say, actually, we're going to do this huge unknown. I'm going to open a dance studio. I'm opening a business. I'm signing, you know, I'm signing a lease. I'm making this commitment. I'm I'm diving into business. I have no business training. So just, I look back and I think the fact that he said, go for it speaks a lot about who he is as a man.
0: Mm, That is so awesome. And I know you have so many great insights And this. I want to spend some time talking about your insights on, you know, growing your family and growing a business at the same time and and some of this stuff. So I know one of the concepts you talk about in your book is the concept of the gas pedal and the brake. And I feel like this kind of exemplifies your relationship with with Mitch. And I'm also selfishly asking this question because I feel like I have the same dynamic with my wife. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the gas pedal and the brake and um, how that is played in your relationship with Mitch and then also in your entrepreneurial decisions.
1: Yeah. So another way I describe gas pedal and brake is kite and string, but the idea is the same, right? You know, you have one who favors velocity and one who favors safety, right? One who wants to fly and one that says, let's think about that before you get stuck in a tree. And we have a good balance. And Brandon, there are times when that balance can drive each other nuts, right? Where he would say to me and has said many times, when's enough enough, right? You know, do we really have to go that fast or that far or, you know, isn't what's happening right here enough? And those are times when I've had to explain that an entrepreneur is an athlete of the mind and the will and the spirit. You know, an athlete wants to know how fast, you know, if you're a runner, you want to know how fast you can run the mile. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to know how much impact you, you can make. You know, you want to know how you can do that thing better. So there's been times when my um, drive has probably been a frustration to him. And there's been a time where his, um, you know, what I would perceive as, um, you know, lack of willingness to take risk or risk averseness is a frustration to me. But in reality, if we were duplicates of each other, that probably wouldn't be good either, right? If we were both, if if you had a car with only two gas pedals, you destroy it. You, you take it out on the highway without the ability to brake. You know, you would, I don't care how well you can turn or what kind of car it is. You would eventually destroy the car and probably create a lot of collateral damage. If you had a car with two brakes, you actually probably wouldn't enjoy what the car can do, which is take you places and have adventures. So I feel like that's just a good description of us. The thing is, in order to have a good drive, you have to know when it's time for gas and when it's time for brake.
0: Yeah. Man, that's such a beautiful uh, example. And I think that anybody listening to this can look for, if it's not in your direct relationship, like for your business relationships as well, You know, who are the people that are on your team that if you're mm-hmm. the one that's the kite in the wind, who's your string that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of weighing your decisions based on your values and all that kind of stuff. So very, very relevant for anybody listening, both in the relationship component, but also in the business relationships as well. And so I would love for you to maybe tell a story of how this is specifically played out. So let's go kind of back to... Your journey in building a studio. I know there was a point when you had one studio that was doing really well and you wanted to start a second one. Would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about what the gas pedal and brake has to do with that, that decision that you made?
1: Well, that was a misty on fire moment. So we <laughs> had two few years into business with our first location that Deke built for us. We were leasing it at the time and we experienced Fast success. We had hundreds of students in a very short amount of time. And I just thought, well, then we just do it again. And we go to the next community and we do it. And I took that idea back to Mitch and he said, all breaks. And I said, you don't know, I know, and I'm going to do it anyway. And it was a, you know, it was pretty much a Uh, emotional financial disaster from day one. I was pregnant with my second child. We didn't have the systems in place for the first studio to run without my direct involvement. We didn't have the staff to cover the second location. We didn't, the second location was too close to the first one. We didn't have the capacity there that never, ever covered its expenses ever. That second location, after two years, we ended up buying out the lease at an extensive loss. And, you know, I look back to that and I think if if my pride and ego could have quieted down for a hot second and listen to the reason behind the brake pumping at that time, as opposed to just looking at the feeling it created in me, Mm -hmm. you know, of restriction or control, or even, you know, I probably felt that, you know, he doesn't believe in me, projected all sorts of weird thoughts that actually were not happening because I wasn't willing to slow down and find out the why behind what he was saying, I could have saved us a lot of um, financial and emotional damage and a lot of time.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw a Facebook post that you had made. It's like, my my name may be on the door of Misty's Dance Unlimited, but this is the guy who's been holding up the dream for 20 plus years. So I just, I, Mitch is such a great guy. And obviously he's working on uh, some some charitable work himself as well. I know he's doing some great stuff. So maybe we could talk about that later, but I just wanted to give everybody some context that, you know, that that as much as Misty has been able to accomplish, she also does such a great job of making sure her family's integrated with the whole experience. And so that was really cool. To, to, I don't normally get that experience with a guest before I get to do an interview, so I just wanted to cool. to tell you how awesome that was. So, um, on on the note of relationships, another thing that I have just in conversation with you, it's like you have a whole. Uh, tribe of mentors that kind of helps you that, that you can turn to in different situations. I know you're in Darren Hardy's group, um, and that you've also have other other really incredibly successful mentors. So um, I, I wanted to maybe zoom in on one story. And then if you could expand a little bit about on how mentors have played a role in your life, but would you mind telling us a little bit about Marvin Wanders and what he had to do in your entrepreneurial journey? Oh, that's a great story. So
1: Marvin was a dance dad at our studio. He had three girls who came through the program. Amazing. His wife, Michelle, amazing. And, and it, I'll say they've been great models to me of a great marriage and parenting and community work outside of what I'm going to share with you now. But he gave me, he's a local real estate developer and gave me a gift subscription to Success magazine just, you know, kind of out of the blue. I think you do great work. I think you might enjoy this. So that put me into the mailing list with Success magazine and in one day out of the blue I get what was probably sent to everybody on the mailing list but I felt it was a personal invitation to me by Darren Hardy to apply for this business mastery program was called high performance forum. So I made the application and a month later found myself in a room with 20 people, um, drinking from the proverbial fire hose, like, wow, you know, here I am the dance teacher and you know, here are people running what I thought from my seat, like, oh, these are these are like the real businesses and I'm just over here trying to, to, to figure it out. But once you get into conversations, you realize that it doesn't matter how big somebody's business is, how many zeros are in their revenue line, how many people they're leading, we all have the same moving parts, right? We all have to figure out the vision where we're going, the mission why it matters, the most important things to show up for every day, how we're going to measure success. How we keep people motivated to keep rowing in the same direction, keep them in sync. How we solve practical issues like cash management and, and, and brand management. You know, some people just have larger scopes of that, but the moving pieces are the same. And I think that was foundational for the work that I now do with more than just Great Dancing, providing advisory. For studio owners who are at the surface level very diverse, some are large, some are small, some are new, some are veterans, some are in rural areas, some are in urban areas. But we have all of the same moving pieces, and I don't know that that world would have been opened up to me if that dance dad Marvin had not given me that gift subscription. So you just you just never know what a small um, a, a small piece of information or appreciation. Um, contribution will do for somebody else.
0: Okay. So I'm, I love that story. And I also want to zoom in here because I know this is what I've identified as part of your unique ability, your genius zone, because it's like, I've noticed that you have this incredible ability to, it's like, I would call it like Misty translate. Like, like you can be <laughs> in any, any room and the most random thing will happen and you will figure out a way to make it relevant for you and your business and for everyone listening this is like the superpower i think our 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 mutual friend jules you know she talks about if she could have any superpower it would be the ability to pull out whenever whatever she needed she would be able to pull that out from her pocket and it, like this is one of those things where it's like Whatever you need, if you can uh, learn it, from, I the... pull it toward me. She... Yeah, ex- exactly. So I, I love that, and I know when I sent you back when we booked this podcast, you were telling me about how you were learning about the onboarding process I have, and I know you had this incredible, incredibly successful win in in the group that we're part of at Tribe for Leaders. So this is, uh, you know, a recurring theme. Whether it was the the Success Magazine subscription to you, all this stuff. So I would love for you to maybe talk a little bit about how you kind of use this missy translate and if somebody is currently maybe going through situations but not learning how to translate it for themselves, what advice would you give them to be able to implement more of that in their life?
1: well, gosh I probably before people called this out I wasn't aware this was my superpower as most people are you know with their <laughs> yep, right mindset. you know it's it's a unconscious competence you know you're doing it you're living in it you're not aware till somebody else calls it out. But I I know you've said that to me before. And as I reflect, I think there's probably three pieces that inform this. I think growing up as a dancer for sure is nothing but translation. Like the teacher's doing this, it's not going to work on my body. So how do I translate? How do I get to that makes sense? You know, I I think that really has informed my ability to translate. I also think that growing up, I'll use a college example. I'm a first-generation college graduate. I had nobody in my family to ask, what does it look like to apply to college? I mean, I didn't know you had to take a test. I didn't know you had to pay a fee to apply. I, I didn't know where to get the information. So I would look around me and I would say, oh, you know, I, you're cute. I'm like, oh, they said something about a test. I have to go ask about that. Oh, you have to pay something. I'm going to have to get some money. Oh, you have to, you have to go you know, pick a major. I mean, I kid you not, Brandon. I didn't have a major until I was a senior because I wasn't aware. <laughs> that you had to have a major
0: college. Okay. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but like that. I mean, people, you were, were paving the road there. But yeah. as a first-generation
1: college kid, I mean, I knew there were majors and minors. I don't know if I thought they were optional, but I didn't pick a major until first semester of senior year. And then I looked around. I'm like, oh, they they they're good. That's going to be on the title. I'm going to have to go get that. Right. So there's been this constant theme in my life of having to look around and figure it out. Even in the early days of business, I remember touring with a realtor before. The, Built me this new space, touring with a realtor, Um, and she took me to this place. She said, "Well, you're going to, you know, this will require X amount of capital." I did not know what that word meant, so I had to go to the library, get a dictionary, and look it up. So I'm I'm constantly having to translate, and it's built that as a strength. So it's a it's a it's a heightened heightened sense for me. But you know, now it's one of the most beautiful things that I can offer our clients, right? Where they can look at what we're doing at Misty's Dance in Western Wisconsin and say, "What are the pieces that?" Transfer as is, right? You know, maybe it's our curriculum, might be a piece of branding, might be a financial support resource. There's going to be something in here that just goes straight into your system. There may be another piece that you have to reskin, rebrand, mix the pieces up, take the ingredients. And there may be another piece where you just look at the inspiration, the example, you do something completely different. So we're actively teaching them basically how to uh, learn. From the different levels of what we're doing and apply the right translation, whether it's just a, a direct pull, a translation, or an inspiration to what they're doing.
0: Hmm. Man, there's so much there. Direct pull translation or inspiration. Because I think um you know obviously this is this is your gift. So I'm not I'm not encouraging everyone to like if this isn't in your wheelhouse, then obviously this isn't for you to develop but I just think there's lots of lessons for us to learn from how you were able to kind of become aware that this was a skill set that you have and you were able to actually build a whole business around this and so i think this kind of ties us back to what we're talking about with with Darren but maybe if you could share and give a little bit more context about how more than just great dancing came into the play because that was something that started after you had your your dance studio and then you were able to almost what you were just talking about is like you've been able to monetize this ability to translate actionable wisdom to other people that that have these studios so would you mind maybe kind of like connecting the dots between like, how are you able to do all that?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And if you don't mind, I want to just take one Please. tip that before I do that, because I think you said something really important. You said this may not be everybody's wheelhouse. This may not work for everybody. I think we have an epidemic right now of entrepreneurs who look at somebody else's model, personality, way they dress, monetization, whatever that is, and, and they just go for direct pull. I said, well, you know, if it worked for that person, then it will work for me. And I really think that we need more critical thought as entrepreneurs. And I often use this phrase with our own clients. You be careful what you want. <laughs> like, like that may work for that person for a variety of factors that you have no idea about. So, you know, look at it, study it with critical thinking, pull out elements that you think would would, would work well for you, translate and then maybe just use it as inspiration, right? But I think most people don't pause to like really think critically about those levels of what they're observing and where it may fit. And there's a fourth bucket we didn't talk about: the not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's a lot of what I look at. You just have to say, hey, that person is, you know, awesome or madly successful or mad. that not for me. And I think it's good to give ourselves permission. To slow down our thinking and think about that. So, uh, well, now having said all that, Brandon, I you'll have to lead me back. In- and
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all good. So, so with that in mind, that that we 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 need to identify our unique abilities, and we need to identify what is and what isn't for us. Misty arrived at the point where she understands that one of her capabilities is to translate wisdom for other people and so i would love for you to this is where we were is is to is to share about maybe the, the idea of how you came up with more than just great dancing and how you added that on top of what you were doing um and i would love for everybody listening the filter i want to provide you is like okay once you've identified your gift look at how misty was able to translate this something that that was in alignment with her so
1: Oh, that's that's great. I love that you're calling that out. So prior to opening More Than Just Great Dancing, I was a brick and mortar dance school owner. I was writing for national publications. I was on the speaking tour. And I started to notice an increase in the number of people who wanted to stay afterwards and ask me questions. I mean, some people would wait in line for an hour and a half to ask me a follow-up question. They would email, they would call, request visits to our studio. And, and I did that for a long period of time. And then it started occurring to me that what people were looking for was not a mountain Top experience, although that is important in the life cycle of entrepreneurship. You need to have those moments where it's like, I had the shot in the arm. I can go back and face another day, but they also need support. They need ongoing tools and resources and community and network. And I, I started to, uh, to have that idea, not well articulated, but the idea that I could, in some way, somehow create an ongoing support platform. It was at the same time while I was thinking about that, that I went to Darren Hardy's first event. And so the full articulation of more than just great dancing happened in that room of 20 people. And I was like, oh, this is what I could do. Darren's taking all of this great entrepreneurial information from you know, the wonderful people he interviewed at Success Magazine, and he's, he's distilled, these are universal best practices for you in these certain areas. And I had already been doing that for the specific industry of dance. I'd been writing about it, speaking about it, taking those personal calls, emails, and studio visits. So I thought, I think there's a way that I could package. And I chose licensing. We looked at franchising. We looked at multiple locations that we would own and we landed on licensing. So I think we can license this. We can train people to run their studio in this specific way that we call more than just great dancing. The idea that we're using dance lessons to teach life lessons and create not just a living for the studio owner, but also a life for their family. And we would license the use of that and the training we provide there. So that's how, (laughs) that would be for sure my ultimate translation.
0: Yeah, so cool that how you were able to do that and the impact that you've been able to make as a result of that decision, that one small decision that you got at Darren Hardy's event. So I don't know if this is a a complete... Relevant segue, but I know this is just under the umbrella of the work that you've done with Darren Hardy. Another story that you tell in your book that I think is hilarious and it's a great lesson for everybody listening is um, when you were giving a presentation at, in order to attend Darren Hardy's elite group, you had an incredible eight-minute presentation that you gave. So I would love for you to share what that eight-minute presentation was. And um, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll start we'll start with that. What was your presentation? <laughs>
1: Okay, so I'm in this room and we've got these CEOs and some of major companies. And I thought, what, what what does the dance teacher have to offer this group? We all had to teach about something. Well, clearly they don't, they probably don't want to dance. They are probably not interested in running a school or a business of my side. What do I have to offer? And I thought, well, one thing we do exceptionally well is we create an excellent experience for our clients. So I thought, what is, you know, what does that experience do? And I'm like, well, the experience has a has a flavor. It has a it has a texture, it leaves a taste in your mouth. So I came up with the idea of cookies and I had custom cookies made for every CEO in the room. Now, some of them, Brandon, had like seven businesses. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, doesn't. like, oh, <laughs> here's your seven cookies. And I gave the speech about not only the impact of dance and what we do, but how when people engage with our product it literally they ingest it, they're taking it in as becoming a part of their system, It's leaving a taste in their mouth. You know, they're not just... You know, looking at our brand, if they're in our business, they're consuming our brand. They're engaging mm-hmm. with it in a, in a visceral and real way. So then I had, I'm giving the talk about it. The cookies aren't out yet. And then I had a ballerina from one of our affiliated dance studios come in. She has her tutu on and the plate of cookies. And, you know, she's probably seven at the time, giving them to uh, all of the CEOs in the room. And then I challenged them, you know, when you when you eat this cookie, which literally has your brand on it, that's a reminder. That's what your clients do. With your business every day,
0: hmm. so powerful, and I, I love the visual. I always like visual representations uh, to be able to understand something. So I think everybody listening, I mean, to they literally imagine...
1: through their logo and consume their logo. I it was sugar, but
0: <laughs> yeah, love that, love that. And and the follow up question to that is, and and just from some context from what I remember of the story is that this is a group of people where everybody had to give an eight minute presentation <laughs> about the greatest lesson that they had learned in business, and so you come in in true Misty fashion. And it's so funny because like, after I read that story, I'm like, that is such a Misty move. Cause I, I saw that when we were at this live event, Misty helped us put together this little dance, dance runway thing. Yeah. That was really funny. It's all that. I was like, oh, so, so Misty. But, um, there was another presentation in that room that you share an insight that was really an impactful for you. Uh, and the guy's name was Mark. Would you mind sharing what Mark's presentation was? Cause that's had implications in your life outside of, uh, just that eight minute presentation that you learned sure. from him.
1: So Mark, Mark Sparks came with the prop as well. And he had been in a variety of business. He's in the private equity space. So he he builds and sells and builds and sells. So you can imagine the wealth of experience that he had. But you know, I thought he might tell us about maybe how to get funding or how to build fast or how to sell. But when he came in, and told us he dropped the little California raisin figurines at every one of our desktops, which is basically a prune, right? And he said, this is a reminder to prune because at one point his ambition had gotten to the place where he was running his business from a hospital bed in his office. And the way he fought his way back to health was literally to prune everything that was not essential and just really get down to the basics of, you know, the family, the faith and you know, the, the business in front of him. And I think that's such a good guardrail. You know, I've never forgotten that little, that figurine and the, the way he told the story of having to manage from a bet. And I think we've all as entrepreneurs had moments where we pushed it to the line and you can start to, you can start to feel like I am too close to the line and my health starting to fall apart and my relationships are fraying at the edges and I can barely hold my eyes open. And we just really have to ask ourselves in that moment, like for what? you know, like what, what is this worth? And is everything on my plate really, really need to be there? And, Brenda, if you don't mind, could I share one more speech that uh, maybe more a high impact than that? So this is how I met uh, one of my other mentors. So, also in the room at that time was Dave Linniger, the founder of the int- International Real Estate Company, Remax, and he gave his speech right after my speech, and um, he walked slowly up to the front of the room. He w- it was a re- recent recovered paraplegic from a coma, and so you know he's definitely the um, you know, the sage in the room, the, 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 billionaire in the room, right. That, you know, we're all kind of waiting to speak. He slowly makes his way up to the front and he tells us all to stand up. That's the direction. So we stand up. He tells us to sit down. We sit down and he pauses and there's this pregnant pause. And then he says, if you can do that, you're wealthier than I am. And I have a billion dollars in the bank and you know he goes on to tell that when he was in you know he had a staff infection in his excuse me staff infection in his spine that led to you know an eight month coma and the paralysis and he said when he was fighting for his life and fighting for his mobility you know he would have given up every dollar that he had to know that he could walk again talk again to see his friends and family again to know that he would make it out of of the hospital and you don't forget stories like that. So the the sum of that event was he won first place, <laughs> totally deserved. And I got second place in that talk. And he came up to me and he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, you played, I, excuse me, I'm going to restate that. He said, I played from my experience and you played from your ambition. I see something in you and I'd like to be your mentor. All I ask is that you do something with it.
0: Okay. So that leads me right. Okay. So how did you bridge that? Cause I know you're very close with Dave, like you and your family. I think when we hung out, you had mentioned that you were just over at his house, your kids were hanging out and all that kind of stuff. And so obviously you have him as a mentor and you know, you've had Darren Hardy, you work with closely. So mentorship and acquiring mentors is so important. So how did you, from him making that statement, how did you go about building that relationship with him?
1: Gosh, you know, I wish I could say it's a magic formula, this follow up and do the work and care, right? You know, I, I think this is so important. You know, I wasn't there to get a photo. I wasn't there to get an autograph. You know, I was there to listen, to learn. I I love to hear the stories of his early days building Raymax, where, you know, a new franchise is coming in the front door while somebody's coming in the back door to repossess the typewriters. And if he doesn't sell this franchise for $500, he oh can't pay for the typewriters. I mean, I ident- I'm inspired by what he does now and the amazing charity work, but I identify identify with the scrappiness that it took to build those early days of the company. So, you know, I'm asking questions, I'm listening, I'm learning. And um, if I can share one short story from that same event. So this is the evening of the speech, right? And gosh, Dave and I just had an opportunity to tell this story at Darren's event a couple of months ago. And so he said, hey, if anybody's interested in franchising, we'll go down into the lobby bar and I'll tell you how this works. So, of course, we're all interested in learning that, right? Right. Have the twenty people gathered around, and you have somebody from the franchise hall of fame at that time—the only living member of the franchise hall of fame—with like Ray Kroc of McDonald's, and he's telling this group of eager entrepreneurs what franchising is. And I took pages of notes, you know, on the on the uh, little small notebook. I take pages of notes. Nobody else took notes. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just was. I took notes. Most people listened and enjoyed a drink. When everybody went back to their room, I went back to my room and typed up pages of notes, got them down to the copy center and came back the next morning and gave everybody, you know, stapled copies of all of Dave's notes. And he said, I knew at that point that you were going to take action. And I didn't do that to impress him. I didn't have a master plan of like, wow, it'd really be impressive. I took some notes and typed it up. To me, it was the only obvious thing to do like, I didn't know if I would, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, we're in day one of this mentoring relationship. Is he actually going to call? I don't, I don't, I mean, I didn't know that like this, this is, this is my time. Take notes, package it for the group. And, and then I kept taking notes, (laughs) kept, you know, calling, um, listening, learning and
0: translating. Hmm. Have you heard of the IKEA effect, Misty? Have have we had a conversation about this? No, tell me. Okay. So I I know longtime listeners have probably heard me talk about this, but this is so relevant when it comes to developing mentor relationships. And just want to point out the genius of what Missy did in that story. And then also, you know, kind of overlay how somebody can apply this in their own life. So the IKEA effect, is basically um, they did this study and I'm not gonna get all the details correct, but basically they they determined that people valued IKEA furniture more than other furniture. And the reason why, if you can kind of put the idea in your, in your head is because you have to build the IKEA furniture. So like you have to, invest your time, energy, and effort and sorting through the the, the the thing on the floor. And so you have to create something. So like the moment that you invest in it, the, the, it immediately makes it more valuable. Why does Build-A-Bear charge a bajillion dollars for a teddy bear? It's because you your kid presses the the stuffing thing. They put the heart in it and then they can charge you $50 for this stupid little bear thing. It's because you created it. You got to invest in it. And that is a hundred percent applicable in developing relationships. And from what I've seen in developing mental relationships as well is like at the end of the day, these people, they don't need more money. They don't need lots of stuff. What they really want is they want to see their insights, their impact live on. And if you can show up and demonstrate that you are the kind of person that is willing to be invested in, and then they see, the return on that investment immediately. And in in Missy's story of taking notes and disseminating it in front of everyone, that shows that you have the characteristics of someone that they want to impart their knowledge on and build a relationship with. So that was just an incredible story. And I would encourage anybody to think about that. I
1: love that. And you've just explained to me why I have a semi-broken Ikea desk outside my office door (laughs) from building to building. building. I'm like, but that's my first desk.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And man, so there's so many things that just came from the story. There's a quote, I'm not going to be able to attribute it correctly, but it's, it's a man who has his health has a thousand goals, but a man who doesn't have his health only has one. And so like that, that that was the first thing I thought of when you talked about that story, it's like, holy crap, that's so powerful. And it's just so such a man hearing that story is just a great reminder. It's just like, no matter what shit you're going through right now, she's like, if you can stand and sit up, like, man, you should just be grateful. I had a kind of a shit show of a day yesterday. I know you've had some stuff. It's like, but if you could just remember that you have your health that's so powerful. The third thing that you had mentioned that that uh, just kind of in passing that I want to zoom in on is you had mentioned you resonated with his scrappiness of like having to sell something. And and I know I, I heard on a podcast, you told this story and I would love for you to talk about this scrappiness story. And I'm I'm not going to remember the details, so you'll have to fill it in. But basically... Something was happening where you weren't planning on having a meeting, so you had to like rent a dress and like you're on your you're on the phone with your team, and they were trying to help you coordinate something. And is this ring a bell? What is is this a scrappiness story that you can tell?
1: Well, I I wish it rang a uh, single bell. It rings a lot of bells. Oh, okay, great. So, um, I I think I know the one that you're talking about. So I had an opportunity to take a meeting actually with Mark Sparks in Dallas. I had an idea for a, a coaching certification program. I wanted his input. He happened to be there. I happen to be in town. He said, sure, I can meet you in an hour. I'll, you know, I'll send somebody to pick you up. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm here as a dancer right now. I've got my jazz pants and my leotard on. I can't show <laughs> up in this environment, you know, pitching my ideas, and feedback like this. Right. So it was like, I need a dress from you. I need shoes from you. I need lipstick from you. I need a hairbrush from you. You know, you figure it out yeah, on the way there, you know, I, I'm crafting everything up in the car and getting there because, it was uh, an unexpected opportunity, but one that I would have been really foolish to let solvable solvable challenges get in the way of, right? I mean, there were a pile of excuses, like the timeline's tight. I don't have my stuff prepared. I don't have all of these things. I look like a mess. But you you figure it out because, I like, gosh, even if I can get there and I can get half of what I'm dreaming of in terms of this coaching certification program out and get even a 5% feedback why would I let the fact that I had nothing else um, in my favor that day, if you will, to, to make that meeting happen, get in my way? I mean, I I honestly, you know, have, have done that several times, you know, where you just find yourself and something opens up and it's like, well, shoot, or you know, get to target, get, get yourself what, you know, what you need. I've I've bought equipment and tech on the right. I mean, when it when it comes down to something's happening in front of you and you have a gut instinct that this is a this is an opportunity where you need to do whatever it takes to learn, to make it happen, to be present, or even to show support. It's not always about us learning and growing, right? It might be, hey, you know what? Like everything hit the fan for somebody else. And, you know, I'm going to have to move mountains in order to actually be there for somebody else.
0: Yeah. Such a great story. And, and, a great thing for people to realize too, because the majority of the non entrepreneurs in the world will just look at that and be like, Oh, game over. I'm done. You know, but like you just like, I think, you know, they talk about all the time that the the world's greatest insights don't come from finding better answers. It comes from asking better questions. And the first questions that you asked yourself was like, how can I make this a reality? Not like not looking for an answer, but rather just pulling together all your different resources to make that a reality. So absolutely Absolutely. love that.
1: Brandon, can I share one more story? Because it ties part of more than just great dancing. So you know, obviously, as I shared, we've been, I had been teaching and writing and speaking and, you know, just pro bono helping all of these studio owners out who would reach out for help, decided I could be of better benefit. If I put this into a program, I see the Darren Hardy model, I start translating. So I'm I'm in development mode, but we, to be clear, we don't really have a business yet. We've got the LLC, but it's just, it's, we've got ingredients. And I get an opportunity to go speak at a major industry event and to have a booth to sell my product <laughs> in a, a very short period of time i wasn't ready i was shaking in my boots i remember dragging my booth you know back when we did live events right you know my booth supplies and this giant bag and i'm setting up and i'm feeling about this bag and i you know i have this you know voice in my head that says you don't belong here they're going to laugh you out of the building who are you to stand shoulder to shoulder booth to booth at the industry giants and say you know, you're going to do this thing that nobody ever has done before, right? But I did it anyway. I did it, you know, partially ready, um, mostly scared. And that's not that I'm advocating for not having good preparation, but I am advocating for the idea that sometimes the opportunity to have that call, go to that event, try the next thing comes before you feel like all the ducks are in a row. And there may be wisdom at times saying, "You know what? We, you know, we not we not only don't have ducks in a row, we don't have ducks yet. This would be unwise." But I think a lot of people are waiting for perfection. And somebody once told me, "If you launch perfectly, you launch too late." Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you for adding that additional story. And it just it may it just makes things so much more um, realistic for so many people. That I mean, maybe we have some you know starting entrepreneurs in the audience are more experienced, but it's like it's always great to hear those stories that it's like. All the progress and momentum that you've created—that it's like you had to start at a point where you didn't feel like you were the person that was that had it all together. That you felt like you were the person that was just dragging the booth and like, what am I doing here? Gosh, but you just—that was sucked 10 up years in ago,
1: and we still have some clients from that event today that remain some wow. of our biggest fans.
0: Love that love that. Man, this has been so much fun. I know we've we've gone all over the place and we've talked about your relationship with Mitch. We've talked a little bit about the insights for your mentorship and Darren Hardy and all that stuff. And one thing that we haven't gotten a chance to really talk that much about yet, I guess we have in, in different elements, but you have this incredible book called One Small Yes. Um, and I would highly encourage anybody to go check out the book and, and learn about how you can build something that Misty has built by just doing it one small step at a time, one small yes at a time. But one of the things that I love from the book is you talk about eight- common challenges after you say yes. So like, you know, lots of people, you can get to yourself to the point where you can commit to doing something, but then, yes. you know, just the, if whether it's the way the universe works or whatever it is, there's some things that you should be looking for because it's, it's, and I love how you deconstructed it. It's like, once you say yes, some of these eight things are probably going to happen. And once you know about it, then it just makes it a little bit less crazy. So um, I don't know if this falls neatly within that category, but I I think it does. But you you have this quote, not all good things are great things. Not all great things are God things. And not all God things are right now things. (laughs) That is beautiful. So I would love for you to maybe dissect (laughs) that. I didn't mean to steal the punchline or anything like that, but tell us a little bit about what that is um, in regards to getting momentum and getting more yeses in our life.
1: Well, I love that you asked this question because most people are interested. How did you do it? How did you do it? And they want to hear, well, you know, the five steps to say yes, yes, yes. But what they don't ever want to hear is how hard it is after you say yes. And really it is as uh, I heard Lisa Nichols speak once and she said it's a double yes. It's a yes to the idea and the yes to the commitment, right? Because it's easy to say, oh, yes, I'll open this business or yes, I'll take that chance. I'll go to the event. Yes, I'll mentor somebody or be mentored. But yes, the continual yes to the commitment and fighting off all of the, the, the ways that the, the world and your schedule and your phone conspire against the success of the yes, right? So that idea that not all good things are great things, not all great things are God things, and not all God things are right now things. I love, I can't attribute the quote. Um, I, I wish I could because somebody deserves a you know a, an Emmy or something for that, if that's the right award. But I think about that a lot because we, we, At this point in my life, um, the decisions I have to make are rarely between good choices and bad choices. They're between good choices and better choices. So if I look back in high school, it was like, should I do homework or go to the party? Right? I mean, uh, I think you could probably categorize that as probably a good choice and probably not a good choice, right? You you get to a certain point in life and career, and you're probably fighting between good and better choices. So on a Tuesday night, it could be, well, I'm leaving the office. Should I stop by the studio and visit classes? That could be a great choice. Or should I go to my child's soccer game? Well, depending on what's happening, right? If all's well at the studio, it's a better choice to go to my child's soccer game. If we have three subs down, or three teachers down, and they need subs, and a massive shipment just came in, and they're understaffed, and there was a customer service issue. It's probably a better choice for me on that particular Tuesday to invest my time in the studio. So, you know, that's the first layer, you know, the good and the better choice. Now, even among that, let's just say you have 10 choices, and three rise as better choices, and seven are going to be set to the side. Even there, you know, what I would call a God choice is like, is this really for me? Because there's a lot of great things you could get involved with that maybe aren't what you are DNA wired to deliver on this earth and be engaged mm-hmm. with right now, right? And only you know individuals can solve what solve for what that means. But for me, it means you know sitting in some quiet time and just asking God, is this for me? And is it for me right now? Because I I really feel like I've been given some some dreams by my Creator that are not now things. Mm-hmm you know, that are in the parking lot. So, you know, they're, they're greater than the good things. I even think they're God things. I think I'll do them someday, but they're not now things. Uh, my PhD is an example of that. So for 20 plus years, I've wanted to go back to school and start chipping away at my PhD. I, I felt called to it. I felt like, you know, God would do something great through it, but I never had a good, good, clear yes on it. Never never hmm. had that good clear. Yes. So, so I had to, um, wait until I had that good, clear yes. And now it's a right now thing.
0: I absolutely love that. And I don't know, again, if this falls within the same category, but you had alluded to this just when we were talking about having this calling of something that is much bigger than you. And one of the things that you also talk about is something called the unconventional yes. And when you wrote this book, I think it was 2017, you had had wrote something here. It's like, my vision for what my business can be and do in the world is still expanding beyond my skill set and resources. And I highlighted that because it's just like, if you are growing as an entrepreneur, you should never feel like you are capable of doing what you want to do. And, and I just love this, 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 the fact that you talk about this, because it's so relevant uh, that at any given growth, it's like, you don't ever really quite, there's, there's always another level to ascend to. So I would love for you to maybe tell us a little bit more about the unconventional yes, and what people can experience on this journey as you've experienced it as well.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's so many layers to yes, right? People might think it's just a black and white binary decision, yes or no to something, but we've already talked about the yes plus the continuing of the yes. And now we have that unconventional yes, which may be saying yes to something that you don't feel equipped for, or you don't have the relationships for, or the full articulation of. I mean, I literally spent my morning doing just that a brand new program, and it's going to require a tech team and advisory team that we don't have yet. So we map it out to the best of our ability, and then we start that quest for who is the expert in this space. And this has become a little cliche now, but I think it's cliche for a reason because it has a lot of truth in it that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And in fact, I've heard people say, you know, if I'm the smartest person in the room, we're in trouble. And my (laughs) translation of that to my team is if if, if it's incumbent on me to provide enough ideas to employ all 58 of us, we are in trouble. You know, we need more ideas than just me. We need more skills than just what I bring to the table. And I think that's an unconventional or at least not a very typical way that entrepreneurs approach business. Most of them approach it the way I did when I started thinking, I got to know it all. I got to figure out how to be the bookkeeper and the janitor and the service provider and the branding expert. And I have to figure out how to build a website. And and there is a certain element of necessity when you're starting out to be scrappy and you have to have your hands in a lot of places. But the people that I've seen do the best, the the quickest are the ones who say, I'm going to admit, it's not conventional to admit that I'm not the expert of most things in my business, not even all things. Most things. Of all the things in my business, I'm good at like these. Right. And it's not very conventional to say I'm going to I'm going to reduce the footprint of my activity in the business to the things I'm really great at and let other people lead and thrive in these areas or find the people who can.
0: Mhm. I think I heard you say somewhere where it's like your role is to kind of build the runway for the rest of the business. It's like everybody else can manage it, but it's like you you have to kind of figure out where the rest of the runway is going. Absolutely. And another another thing I I highlighted cuz I thought this was a great great comment in your book and you had said if you could complete your calling in one sitting, it wouldn't be a calling or a journey, it would be an event. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that was beautiful. So I just wanted to to say that because I thought that that was so, so cool. So, man, so this has been so much fun, Missy. I know we're coming up on, on time here and I really respect your time. So I, I, I know people are excited to start implementing some of the stuff that they've learned today. I want to jump back to one small thing that I thought was, or actually there's two, two smaller things that I thought were were so cool when I, and this is, this goes back to when I, when I met you the very first time you just got back from a vacation with, uh, Benji, if I remember correctly. And you you just did a vacation to Route 66. Tell us a little bit about what that was. And I think that that's really, really uh, beautiful that you've done this with your family.
1: Oh man, I loved that. So I've been a fan of old cars, probably since I was a kid. My mom had a couple of classic cars and project cars. My dad was always tinkering with cars. I spent the first money I ever made on a 1956 Buick with a straight eight and a Dynaflow transmission. I mean, I just, it's (laughs) something that I enjoy. So the, you know, the whole idea of the mother road and the route 66 and, you know, the way things were, that's, that's something that captures my imagination. So my sister- gave me a tour book of Route 66 for Christmas. And I'm sitting there and said, who wants to do Route 66? And Benji, my youngest of five kids, age 12, was the only one. <laughs> <for> <laughs> his hand. So I don't know if he had a genuine, I, he loves cars like I do. I don't know if he had genuine interest in the actual route or the idea of spending time with me, or if he didn't really know it was going to be nine days and 55 hours in the car. But what a fantastic opportunity, you know, Theme aside, you could do this anything. I mean, if you're interested in knitting, great. Go to a knitting retreat with you know with one of your kids or go into something that they're interested in. But that amount of undistracted, undisturbed, non-email time with somebody that you care about, I will remember the richness of those conversations and the sparkle in his eye you know when when i gave him an opportunity on an abandoned stretch of route 66 to get behind the wheel and you know drive for this <laughs> short stretch of space i'll remember that for the rest of my life and yeah you know what it's hard as an entrepreneur to walk away from your business for 9 days things pile up there's always something that needs your attention but the r- reality is is i do not remember any of the things that seemed urgent during those 9 days You know, I don't remember really the content of any of the, you know, very few breakthrough messages or what was in the content of my email when I came back and there was a lot, but I remember every place we stopped, every conversations, you know, the joy we shared, the tears that were shed at certain times. I mean, that is better than anything I could have gained by staying home and just working the grind for nine more days.
0: Yeah. And I know I had discussed this a little bit with Mitch, I believe as well, but like the the other beautiful part that I love about this is like you have, you have five kids. And, and and so it's like to to take the individual time with separate kids like that, that is really cool. I haven't really heard about that much. It's like usually you go on a family vacation and everyone's together. So, so do you make an active uh, approach to like doing individual events with your kids and vacations and that kind of stuff? Or how do you guys manage that?
1: So here's something that I learned. And actually this advice came to me when we set up our, you know, our, our, like a state plan and all of that stuff. Somebody said to me, fair is not always equal. And I thought, you know, that really applies to the time, right? Because somebody might say, well, then you owe nine days to child number one, two, three, and four, right? You know, Isabella needs nine days. And so does Mason and Sam and Max. But, you know, this weekend I'm going to a Bulls game with Max because he loves basketball, right? Right. I'm not doing it for nine days in a row, but that's something very special for him. So maybe he's going to get a series of singular events with mom and dad or with just dad or with just mom. I think the idea is not to get tied into the, you know, this for that or is it equal or does it feel the same, but does it speak to their heart? is it their love language, (laughs) right? You know, I have some kids right now based on their age, they'd be like, oh my gosh, nine days with mom. I, you know, maybe they'd, they'd, you know, rather clean their room or have a root canal. I mean, we all are in different seasons of life, but it's looking at the whole of your, the people that matter to you, where you're at in, uh, where they're at in their lives, where you're at in your life, what their love language is and how you can, you know, add real time value to the relationship. You know, and last night, that was me serving chicken to my college-age son who happened to stop by and putting my work down, you know, just to lean in, you know, and hear about the repairs on his car. Even when I thought my email was on fire. But it didn't matter because I had that moment. And I think we just to have that awareness and not get pulled into the frenzy of of the day.
0: Hmm. Man, it's just that I love how the individualized attention and the fact that you said that it's equals not always, um, Fair is not always equal. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, everybody can absolutely remember that with your, with your families, but I love the fact that you, you each work to spend individual time with each of your kids. And that is, that is absolutely beautiful. So, and we didn't even really talk about this, but just the fact the fact you've done all this on top of having five kids and raising five kids is just incredible. So that's what it goes back to what I said, that you're a true woman. <laughs> so it's incredible to, to learn from you and spend time with you today. So Misty, I have one final question that I've been asking to everyone um, just to kind of wrap things up, but I would love to hear your insights, Misty, based on your experiences of running your company, spending time with your family. What does happiness mean to Misty today?
1: Being present wherever I am, being here with you dialed all the way in, enjoying and being able to remember this moment. I think You know, especially the last few years, just an acceleration of the world and the challenges we've all faced, it's really hard to be present. You know, we either have our worry box in the back that's always reminding us, you know, there's something to worry about. We have our vision that might be five years in advance. You have the noise all around you. So it's just it's such a gift. And it's my greatest happiness where wherever I am, I can be fully present, you know, and I will remember, you know, the the notes of this conversation. I'll remember your expression. I'll remember the care you took in preparing this interview. And I'm hoping that later when I close my computer and I go home, I'll remember the time that I spend with my kids. And I hope later when I open it back up, I'll remember the contributions I made to my work. Uh, I'm working like mad to create more containers where the people that I care about can get my full attention and it's not possible all the time. You know, I live in the same world you do where, you know, it's ding and you know, there are tensions over here, but man, I am working like mad to make progress there. And I hope, I hope when my kids look back, they'll see I tried.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I will not add anything to that. Thank you so much for sharing (laughs) and thank you so much for hanging out today. This has been a blast. So I just want to have a really quick conversation with our friend that's listening right now. And I just want to say, if you were brand new, And this is your very, very first episode. And you decided you could be listening to any other podcast in the world, but you decided to hang out with Misty and I today. I just want to say welcome. It is just an honor to have you hanging out with us. And um, I bring on incredible people like Missy all the time. So as you can tell, we love to go deep here. So thank you so much for being here. And if you're returning, I want to say thank you. You are absolutely what makes this possible. And whether you're new or returning, I have a favor to ask you. And if, if you've listened to something that Missy has shared today, whether it's about the one small yes of, of, of rejecting a crazy experience where she got to get accepted into a dance school and chose something that was in her calling or talking about the, the next level she's taken in her business or the story about Darren party, all those things can absolutely change someone's life. My life has been changed by podcast. And if you share that with other people, you absolutely have that capability. But whether you choose to do that or not, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And Missy, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. And I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, everybody, for your time today.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again. And I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is, if you are listening to my voice right now,